It's been quite a week, hasn't it? And I cannot do what I normally do, which is to launch right into the sermon. There's been so much wounding this week. And I have to tell you, I am so appreciative of the staff that I get the privilege of serving with who remind me that we can't do things as usual. We need to acknowledge the pain and suffering of so many this week and the divisions within our nation. And what we do as a people in this place of worship is we, call, we pause to pray now. And so I invite you to pray with me. Oh, gracious, loving, and holy God, we bring our woundedness to you. We come as a people hoping that we can seek freedom that truth brings. We pray for leaders that they would have the courage to transcend their tribes, that they would have the wisdom of humility that confesses, I don't know, and the courage to seek. We pray especially for those whose wounds have been made raw again, whose souls have been violated and made vulnerable again. We pray for their healing and their wholeness and their dignity and their safety. We pray for the will as a people to champion a culture that's not built on lies nor any kind of assumption that one gender can freely take from another. Help us to be salt. Help us to flavor our world with love. Help us to be the salt that creates the thirst for justice. Help us to be a people who dare to love everyone. Help us to look for need and offer our cups of compassion and use our voices to speak justice and kindness and mercy to all. In the name of this Jesus who taught us these things, amen. I brought some things with me today. Cup. An axe. This was the official Boy Scout axe when I was 12 years old. Yeah, I know it's an antique. In light of our scripture reading, I feel compelled to tell you it has never been used for a biblical purpose. A shaker of salt. I'll come back to them. Imagine, if you will, someone you care about, someone you love, is sick in ways that you do not understand, ways that take them away from you, ways that interrupt your relationship, ways that cut them off from belonging and from community. They're sick in such a way that you think that evil itself has infected their minds and hearts, and what you know is that they're just incredibly vulnerable. And this religious group comes along. 
we think you can, we can help you. But then they can't. And then someone you really don't know comes along and she tries to help. And maybe she invokes something spiritual or, or touches them somehow. It's all a mystery to you. But then you see your loved one's eyes clear and sharp again. Health and sanity come back. And vitality dances in your relationship again. And you are grateful beyond words. And then the next day you hear that the first group who were so ineffective have approached this person who was effective and told her to cut it out. She wasn't part of them, so she must be an us. I'm sorry, I got that back. She's not a part of us. She must be a them. I think that would leave you confused and angry. And so the disciples bragged to Jesus. They shut this healer down. I think a lot like Mark's readers, buffeted by persecution and afraid, retreating to their own limited group, their own tribe, as it were, demanding perfection from each other, the right credentials. And their actions reflect the fear of not being enough. You see, in the same chapter, the disciples couldn't cast out any demons. Nobody's eyes got clearer. Nobody got healthier because of them. And faced with someone else's success, they could not celebrate and they resort to a tribalism he's not one of us he's of them this tribalism practices this mindset of them versus us it practices hatred and suspicion as a birthright it cannot celebrate someone else's good fortune it is unable to envision solutions that are just for all tribalism has to win at all cost Tribalism refuses to assign any value to them. Tribalism is unable to empathize with another's pain or loss. And so they do not act like members of the human family. They act like members of this little bitty clan. And sadly, these are still the same issues we have today. This week in Vermont a state legislator resigned. An African-American woman elected to represent primarily, mostly a white district. Hounded and harassed, called vile names, swastikas carved in the tree in her yard, and finally a death threat seen by her seven-year-old child. How could she represent us? Her skin's the wrong color. She's a a them. And we struggle about marriage equality. Who can get married like we are? Who can't get married? As if someone has the right to tell you who to love. And churches argue about the Bible, its authority, its interpretation. In this past week, in our culture, in our politics, it has been particularly ugly. And we have watched the response of the powerful to the vulnerable. 
And to the disciples, and I think to us, Jesus responds. And he sounds like a walking public relations disaster. Hanging millstones around people's necks. I didn't bring a millstone today. I can't lift them. Hacking off people's hands and feet. Plucking out eyes. I noticed that when you said thanks be to God, your heart really wasn't in it. We know all of this is hyperbola. It's exaggerated speech. It's making a point. His first exaggeration is about giving a cup of water. A cup. It's not much. It kind of marks Jesus as a kind of religious comedian. Because in that day and time, in that culture, it was, you've got to meet all of these conditions, pass all of these rules to qualify for the kingdom of God. And very few could do it. And Jesus comes along and says, I was thinking it was just a cup of water. When my wife retired, she said she wanted to start cutting the grass. Supportive husband that I am, I said, that's fine with me. (laughs) Offered to let her shovel the snow. She graciously declined. I think that's what that glare meant, I'm not sure. On hot summer days when she's out cutting the grass, I will get up from the air-conditioned house and go get her a cup of water, put a couple ice chunks in it, and take it out to her. Does that mean I get an eternal reward? I'm thinking she might say no. It's an exaggeration. It's about following Jesus in such a way that we're looking for human need and responding graciously and generously and kindly. It's an ongoing thing, and it is a ridiculously low standard. Because the eternal reward is really about the grace of God. But lest we think that this following Jesus is so easy, he gives us another exaggeration about stumbling blocks for these little ones, uh, the vulnerable, the children, the poor, the abused, the assaulted, the sick, those wounded in body, mind, and soul by violence, those violated by religious zealotry that tries to keep others in their places with their shaming. He says it's better to hang a millstone around their necks. You have to imagine me hoisting a millstone now. It's too heavy. If that was around my neck, I could not move. I would be so weighted. The point is they're so weighted by their own prejudice, by their own judgmentalism. They're not going anywhere. They're just going to drown in their harshness. Several years ago at our hospice unit, I spoke to a man listening to him, and he said something religious that I know is the basis for abusiveness. And I have to be honest, at that moment, I stopped being his chaplain. I couldn't. The anger in me just flared, and the best I could do was excuse myself. And I sought out a social worker I know, Janet, whose judgment I deeply appreciate. And I was telling her about what he said, and her response was, wow, 
That sounds like something really heavy to carry. And that's kind of what this means. If we have the need to meet all these rules and laws and judge everybody else by them, we're carrying millstones and we will drown in our judgmentalism and our lives will really go nowhere except to the bottom of the sea. Lives that scandalize, that wound the vulnerable, heavy lives, angry lives. They're Charles Dickens-like from Christmas Carol where Jacob Marley talks about a life that forged the chains that bind him. Now, Jesus said, a cup of water, a cup of your compassion, a cup of justice. Exaggeration number three, and pray that I don't drop this thing. It's about a faith style that seeks to avoid punishment, seeks to avoid the wrath of God by cutting out anything that might cause sinfulness. It's a ridiculously high bar. Jesus is saying if you want to be perfect, you have to cut off body parts. The only way to be perfect is to incapacitate yourself, to go through life so maimed that you can literally only exist. David Henson writes about his own life and talks about as a teenager being so caught up in this kind of living that he even gave his rock music collection away for fear of being tempted. His friends were delighted for his religiosity. But as an adult, he wrote these words. As I was whittling down my potential temptations, I was also whittling down, narrowing and shrinking my understanding of God. God had not just become small, but small-minded, whose primary power lay in the threat of punishment rather than in the empowering movement of love and grace. The choice is ours. It's a call to freedom. To be free to love and to celebrate everyone. And you see, that multiplies our opportunities for celebration, our potential for joy. It's not just limited to the good things in the group. It's worldwide. It's a freedom to overcome this them versus us thinking and to discover all kinds of relationships that enrich us and heal us. It's the freedom to love ourselves even when somebody else defines us as less. It's the freedom to give compassion and to speak for justice, knowing our cups runneth over. We're free to spill over with generosity and know we are more than enough. Then he tells him something. I don't think it's an exaggeration. He tells them to have salt in themselves. In the Old Testament, the salt is a symbol of the covenant, this relationship between God and Israel, and for us, our relationship with God. And in Ezra, the fourth chapter, it was about sharing the salt with someone was to have table fellowship with that person. And the great struggle in their culture and in ours is how we limit who can come to the table. 
Our text begins with self-seeking arguments over rank and tribe and scandalizing and harming the vulnerable. And then Jesus concludes by talking about table fellowship and who gets the salt. That's all right. I feel that way too sometimes. Never in my life when I've asked somebody to pass me the salt has somebody thrown it to me. May have wanted to, but they didn't. I want you to think about something today in a simple gesture. Maybe at lunch, maybe at a restaurant, maybe wherever you go to eat. Maybe somebody says, pass the salt. And you reach it out to them. And your hands will touch. And I want you to make eye contact. And in the saying of thank you and you're welcome and that contact, know Know that something sacred passed between you and that you belong at a table. Have this salt in you. You belong to God's table. Have this salt in you. You have the power to bring people to the table by your love, by your inclusiveness, by your kindness, by your generosity. Have this salt in you. May it be so. Amen.